Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash. And you're listening to episode 139 of Chat Disney. So welcome back to the Chat Disney podcast. And this week you are in for a treat. Tash and I are super excited about today's episode because we're going to be talking about arguably one of the greatest Disney classics of all time and a personal favorite of both mine and Tash's, Beauty and the Beast. So today's episode is going to be dedicated to Beauty and the Beast in all its forms. And at the end of today's episode, I will be giving you a full and detailed review of the Beauty and the Beast musical production, which is currently touring the UK. So you've got lots to look forward to. But before we head into all of that, let's have a quick look at what's been happening in the world of Disney this week. Starting off with a park that is very close to my heart today, and we're talking about Shanghai Disneyland. You may have seen the news that 34,000 people, yes, 34,000, were trapped inside Shanghai Disney Resort last week for testing following a reported COVID case. So I think this just shows how seriously China are taking COVID. So guests had to receive a negative test result in order to be able to leave the resort. And entry into the park has actually been suspended while China battles with yet another outbreak of the virus. But the park is now starting to resume normal operations, which is good. So it's not being closed down again. That is definitely something positive to come out of this story. And my heart goes out to all of those people that were trapped in the park. It might sound like a dream to be trapped in a Disney park, but I think the reality was far from that. So heading over to Walt Disney World, a couple of things have been happening this week. First of all, holiday kitchens are coming to Epcot. And with this announcement, this means that the cookie stroll is returning. So the cookie stroll is essentially a little stroll that you could do, clues in the title, to pick up different types of traditional festive cookies. And this is as part of the Festival of the Holidays 2021. And you can expect to find traditional festive gingerbread, the Snickers Doodle Cookie, which is a play on a Snickerdoodle cookie and sponsored by Snickers, and way more. And if you manage to actually complete all of the cookie stamps, I believe there are five to collect, you'll receive a special Walt Disney World 50th anniversary cookie totally for free which is amazing i don't often hear about free things from disney park so i would definitely get on that if i were you and also this week very exciting for all of our uk listeners who are rearing to go and to get back to Walt disney world borders are now open And we've had a little bit of news around Disney Genie Plus and what it means for those of us traveling from the UK. And I'm really pleased to say that there are discounted Disney Genie Plus packages that are available for UK guests visiting Walt Disney World. The Walt Disney Company know that UK guests will often go for a longer period of time because it's further for us to travel. And for that reason, they've introduced a UK Disney Genie Plus package, which means that guests can enjoy 14 days of Disney Genie Plus for the price of just nine, which I think is a significant saving. Or alternatively, you can add the Disney Genie Plus onto just an individual day, like US residents can. But for those of us in the UK, it's going to cost $6.99 a day, which is significantly cheaper than the $15 that it would cost you if you did it out there. So I'm really pleased by this news. And I'm actually quite pleasantly surprised. 
I mean, yeah, I think it's good, but I still think just wipe the whole thing completely and make it free for, for everyone would be would be even better. But there we go. Um, looking at another park as well over in Asia, Tokyo Disney Resort have just announced that they are going to be opening a Toy Story themed hotel next year in April 2022, which is very exciting. I imagine it will be very similar to the one in Shanghai. So can't wait to see some images of this. Very exciting. And some Disneyland Paris news. Fireworks are back this week in time for bonfire night that we've just had in the UK. Very exciting. And as we ramp up towards the 30th anniversary at Disneyland Paris, cast members at Disneyland Paris have just had something even more amazing than discounted Genie Plus and more surprising, I should say. And that's that for the first time in Disney Parks history, they're able to choose their 30th anniversary name badge. So there are two different options that they can select. They can either have white on gold or gold on white. Both of them feature the Disneyland Paris logo as well as the new 30th anniversary logo. I love that logo so much. And I think that's really awesome. I personally would pick the gold, but I think it's awesome that cast members have the choice. Yeah, definitely. I'd pick the gold or white, I think, for me. And a final bit of parks news today is from Hong Kong Disneyland. And they have announced that there is a new nighttime fireworks show called Cherish the Memory. And again, I love a nighttime fireworks show. So I'm excited to see some YouTube videos of this. Me too. And it's nice to have some Asian parks news as well. It shows that things in that side of the world are starting to return to a bit of normality. And it's not just parks and resorts that have had lots of fun stuff happening this week. Movies and television have also had many, many announcements. So first of all, we finally had a trailer for The Book of Boba Fett. It's been released and we know now that this will be an exclusive to Disney+. Plus. So if you are a fan of Star Wars, go check out that trailer. The cast for the new Hocus Pocus 2 has been announced as well. So obviously we've got the three original actresses who are going to be playing the the Sanderson sisters. It was actually announced on Halloween and we have finally had confirmation. Tash and I were right. It is going to be released in autumn 2022. So not too long to wait for that sequel. We've also had some rumours around Harry Styles. We told you a couple of weeks ago that Harry Styles would be joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Very excited for that. And the rumours this week are that his contract is actually for five movies which has sent fans wild harry styles playing a marvel cinematic universe hero and for five movies amazing and sticking with marvel eternals was obviously released this week as well tash and i have not yet seen the movie obviously there's been a lot of mixed reviews for this one so i'm very very intrigued and hopefully i will get to the cinema soon as it's not available on Disney+. Plus, I thought you'd be able to stream it with Premiere Access, but you are not able to, which, Tash, I'm sure you're celebrating. You're a big cinema fan. And very interesting. I said it was mixed reviews. The Eternals movie marks the first ever Disney Marvel Cinematic Universe film to receive a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. So make of that what you will. But uh, yeah, I'm very, very intrigued about this one. And final bit of movies and TV news for you all this week. We are getting closer and closer to Disney Plus Day. It's taking place this week. There's going to be loads of stuff released to the streaming service. I'm very, very excited about it. No doubt we'll be talking about it extensively next week. And as part of Disney Plus Day, we've just found out that there is a new Disney Simpsons crossover coming and the picture 
has a picture of Homer and Goofy sat next to each other drinking. So I'm very curious to see what that's all about. And for those of you that loved the Arundel log fire that came with Disney Plus, there is an updated version that will also be released on Disney Plus Day. Very, very exciting. And talking about all things autumnal fires, log fires, you catch my drift. A little bit of Christmas news for you as we are getting closer to that time of the year as well. And Disney have released a brand new tear-jerking Christmas advert for Disney. And it is entitled The Stepdad and it's to rival John Lewis. They did do one last year, which was lovely. If you haven't checked out The Stepdad already, do have a look. It is quite an emotional advert and one I really really like and that pretty much concludes everything that has happened in the world of Disney this week we're now going to head into the main part of the episode talking all things beauty and the beast so beauty and the beast I said it in the intro and I have said it I don't know how many times on the Chat Disney podcast. If you've been with us from the beginning, you'll be sick to death of me saying this. But it's my favorite Disney film. I do flip-flop between Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. And it's also Tasha's favorite. She sort of flip-flops between The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. So it is very, very close to both of our hearts. We are truly children of the Renaissance era of Disney being born in 1990 and 1991. So we absolutely grew up with this film. It is just, uh, yeah, I, I love it. The fact that it won Oscars and goodness knows how many other incredible awards, I think it's just a testament to how standout and how stellar this film is today. And it still doesn't cease to amaze me every time I watch it and listen to the soundtrack, just how fabulous it is. So it's not surprising that this Disney masterpiece went on to have many different adaptations and reiterations. So that's what we're going to be talking about today in today's episode. We won't dwell too much on how much we love Beauty and the Beast. I think you all know that, but we're going to be talking you through the history of Beauty and the Beast everything that we've encountered throughout our lives that is Beauty and the Beast themed and and what we thought of it. So let's talk a little bit about the original 1991 film. I know I just said we're not going to lament over how much we love it, but Tash, if you had to pick out sort of three standout things about that film, the reason that you think it's unique amongst all of the Disney classics, what would you say? Oh God, I mean, that film is just so sentimental and so dear to my heart for me. Um, Standout things, I think... Belle as a character, obviously, you know, she's one of our first kind of more independent Disney princesses that we have. You know, she's intelligent, she's smart, she doesn't need rescuing. I think that she's a really positive role model for, for young girls and boys. Um, I think the whole Be Our Guest sequence is one of the best sequences that Disney have ever created. That song, just all the animation that goes with it, just absolutely love it. Um and just the story in general, like the whole thing is put together and executed so perfectly. Obviously, it is based on an old fairy tale, um, but it's obviously been changed and adapted a lot. Um, but yeah, I think just the story is is perfect. There is nothing about the story that I would change. Yeah, 
Yeah, I would agree with you. And yeah, as you say, it is based on an old fairy tale. It's actually written originally by a French author, a woman, but it's had lots of adaptations and things throughout history. So I think it's nice that they kept that reference to the original writer by setting it in France. I think that that's lovely and a very, very welcome choice. Interestingly, you talk about the narrative. I think we should just touch upon this slightly here. It has received quite a lot of bad publicity. I mean, haven't all Disney films recently, but this one particularly for the whole Stockholm syndrome, which for those of you that don't know what that is, it's essentially falling in love with your captor and it's really interesting to me because I mean the next natural thing for us to talk about is probably the live action so I'm kind of bridging the gap here a little bit but I saw a TikTok the other day where somebody compared the classic Walt Disney animation with the 2017 adaptation featuring Emma Watson and Dan Stevens and it was really interesting to me the purpose of the TikTok was basically to say they don't love each other in the new version, like the chemistry is not there. And the scenes that they pulled out to identify this, I'd never even realized. So, you know, that moment in the original classic, right after the, I think the most iconic scene in the entire film, which is the ballroom scene. Just after that, they walk onto the balcony and Belle discovers through the magic mirror that her father's not well. And the beast says that she's free to go. But before that moment, he asks her if she's happy there. And she says, yes, yes, I am. And I think he says, are you happy with me? And she's like, yes, I am. And that's why she says, oh, but, you know, I do miss my father. In the Emma Watson version, it's a very subtle detail, but she doesn't say she's happy there. He asks her the question and she says, no, I miss my father. And I think that that is probably because they were trying to address the Stockholm syndrome issue but she never actually says she's happy with the beast. And there are loads of moments like this. The other really iconic moment, and I noticed this one, the library. So in the original classic, Beast takes Belle to the library, knowing that she loves books. And he has her eyes covered and it's a surprise. And we have that fantastic moment. I can visualize the gorgeous music and it zooms around. She's got the green dress on and she's like, oh my God. And he's like, if you like it that much, it's yours. A bit of a reference to the guy at the beginning during the bell song. And it's a really sweet moment. In the Emma Watson and Dan Stevens scene in the 2017 live action, Beast just happens to take Belle to the library. He doesn't seem to know that she is really into books. Seems to come as a bit of a shock. And he sort of just brushes it off. He never says, oh, if you love it, it's yours. There's none of that. He just kind of goes, oh yeah, I suppose it's all right. And this does come with the fact that they've made that Beast character a bit more um, sarcastic and more playful, which I did enjoy. But as I say, that's just two examples. This TikTok has maybe four or five examples like that, where the chemistry is really watered down. Yeah, I've never really noticed it as well. I actually like that bit when he asks her if she's happy. I think she actually says, can it like, can anyone ever be happy? like truly happy if they aren't free and I like that because of course you cannot be happy if you're not free and I think that with the live action one and again I think we have talked about this before I think they do address some of those issues that are a bit um kind of too like within the animated world like they're kind of a bit too like happy clappy in the first one um like there's a lyric that they change in Be Our Guest um and it's, I can't remember what the lyric is. I'm trying to think now, but it's something like in the original, it's the bit when he's like 10 years, we've been rusting and it doesn't make sense with the ages of how the characters would be. 
And like, that's one example of something that they change. And I remember there's a couple of other things that they change to kind of, yeah, address these issues. And I think that that bit is one of them. Um, So I actually quite like that. And I think that it does make their relationship a bit more authentic, that it's not just like, oh, she's come here and now I've saved here and then blah, blah, blah. And now like she's falling in love with me. I kind of like it that it's a bit more of a slow burner. Yeah, I mean, hey, I really like the live action and I was pleasantly surprised with it. I was so nervous going into the cinema watching it because I really didn't want it to ruin my perfect Disney animated classic. But no, I, I like it and I do I do get that. Yeah, I've just looked it up and the line is too long we've been rusting in the live action instead of 10 years. And you're right, it was a, a smart decision. It's a very small line, but fans have been complaining about that for a long time when Chip seems under the age of 10 how can they have been rusting for 10 years it's quite interesting actually there are a few lines that have um, been changed I found an article on bustle here so if anyone is interested then absolutely go and have a look but yeah it talks a little bit about the changes that were made in the live action to to try and yeah correct some of the wrongs that that the classic got a bad rap for so Yeah, Emma Watson, I think, is probably... I was really pleased when I heard that she had been cast as Belle because we know her the best of all as Hermione Granger, who I think is arguably the Wizarding World's answer to Belle, this this bookish, smart, brunette character. But I was really disappointed with the performance, and I think, you know, you all know what I'm going to say, the auto-tune singing for that kind of role please just get a singer. I was really disappointed with that. But apart from that, I think that the casting was solid. We spoke last week in our French culture episode about paying respects to French people. And Lumiere is definitely the most stereotypical French character that we see in any Disney film. And I feel like all they needed to do to make that less offensive was cast a French person, but they went with Scottish Ewan McGregor. And I do think that Ewan McGregor does a great job. I love, love, love Ewan McGregor in everything that he has done. I mean, his Disney accolades span Obi-Wan Kenobi, Christopher Robin, but I feel like they probably should have got a French actor. Oh, definitely. And like, I think even this sparks, I mean, like, let's not get into it now, but this could spark a whole mad chatter segment. Like, why... What like they would never ever cast you and McGregor? Let's stick with him, for example. In like nowadays, in like the role of like a, an African or like, do you know what I mean? Like some like doing a Jamaican accent, for example. So why is it okay to make him have this really OTT French accent? Like who decided that that was okay? He was actually the the casting choice that I was the most concerned about. Um, and I do actually think he's, I, I was concerned because of Be Our Guest, of course. Um, and I do actually think he does an okay job of it. But yeah, there are many other people like he didn't have to be in that role. I think Ian McKellen was perfect for um, Cogsworth. I think, again, Emma Thompson, I love Emma Thompson, but I'm not a huge fan of her as Mrs. Potts. I can see why they cast her because she is you know, she's very British, like got that real like motherly thing about her. But I do sometimes find something a little bit jarring and quite, I don't know, not authentic about her performance in that in that row. I don't necessarily think that she was the best choice. Um, but yeah, apart from from that, I think, yeah, that that film, I, I was very happy with the performances. 
Okay, so I'm going to throw you a bone. We'll see if you bite. How would you have felt with a Julie Waters, Mrs. Potts? Oh, I would have way preferred that. Yeah, yeah. that would have been that would have been perfect. Yeah. So what? Interestingly, I think it was Julie Waters. It was an actress. I can't remember who it was now, but it was a British actress from a working class background who was talking about this real problem that we have at the moment, which is that lots of drama schools are only accessible. This is in Britain. Lots of drama schools are only accessible for the very rich. So we've got this influx of very wealthy middle class actors coming through our ranks. And I think she said this in direct response to the fact that Eddie Redmayne was at school with Prince William. I believe at Eton, I could be mistaken. And I think that Benedict Cumberbatch went somewhere like that as well. There is this real wave at the moment of kind of men in their sort of late 30s, early 40s who all had private educations. I mean, look at Henry Cavill. You know, Henry Cavill's not walking around Brighton at the weekend at Churchill Square. He He's clearly... Um, a, a wealthy individual. I'm, I'm not sure his exact background. I could be hugely mistaken. It could all be an act. But I say this because I feel like with Emma Thompson, yes, she's a very famous British act, actress, but she's very well spoken. And she, you know, she's played P.L. Travers, who was a very, she was an intellectual. And I don't mean to, you know, say that Mrs. Potts is not an intelligent woman. I'm, I'm not saying that at all, but she's very much from the East End of London, working class. And again, it's like the French thing. Why not play into that authenticity and give the opportunity to someone who naturally sounds a bit more like that? And I don't know, there are, I feel, plenty of actresses. I know Angela Lansbury actually is not East End of London, but I, I don't know, she's got that kind of I don't know, that twang in her voice naturally that lends... Well, she's very posh as well, but I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just feel that with Emma Thompson, it's very forced. You can... It's like me going, oh, everything will be all right. Like, you can hear that it's put on and I... it Yeah, it's jarring. Yeah, I'll, I, yeah I completely agree with everything that you've, you've just said there. Yeah, they should, they should try to cast these roles with people who are actually genuinely more similar to... The character that they are playing I think it would it would really do them a favor in the long yeah. run in terms of how the portrayal comes across so yeah, yeah diversification 100% and actually that is something I will talk about when we do the the theater review but I was very happy with the casting of Mrs Potts I was skeptical going in because of who it was it was the only person actually in the cast that I'd heard of outside of the production and I thought they did an amazing job. So I'm looking forward to talking about that later on. So we've sung Beauty and the Beast's praises so far. We've been nothing but complimentary about the 1991 film. And we've been overall positive about the 2017 live action remake. Let's do what we do best. And let's talk about something that's a little bit more negative. Or maybe we don't see it as negative, but maybe other people would. So I'm talking about some of those straight-to-VHS adaptations that we saw. So I know, actually, Mercedes, you're a fan of the Christmas. Is it Bell's Enchanted Christmas? I know that you are actually a fan of that movie. Yeah, so it's Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas is the official official title. I thought it was called Bell's Enchanted Christmas too. 
I love this movie. I think it's got some really good songs. I really like the, I'm not going to try and sing it, but as long as I, as long as there's Christmas, I simply believe I love that song. I think that it introduces some really fun characters like Fife. It gives us Forte, the villain who is terrifying. And also Angelique, who's the Christmas angel. So I love that. I love the fact that they go into the attic and the Christmas decorations are up there. And they've been enchanted as well. So, you know, they're like, hey, we're, we're humans, but we're stuck in the attic for, you know, the majority of the year. And the storyline, super simple, is that Beast hates Christmas. Christmas is meant to be the time in which the enchantress came and turned him into a beast. So there's negative connotations for him with the Christmas season. And hey, I mean, they didn't even need to shoehorn that into it. I would have believed that the Beast hated Christmas anyway. He's not the most cheerful of fellows when we meet him at the beginning of the original film. So... The movie starts in the future. The Beast is a prince and they're enjoying Christmas together. And I think it's Chip that says, oh, this is so different from last Christmas. And they're like, oh, God, tell me about it. And then it sort of flashbacks to show us the Christmas during Bell's Day when Beast was a beast. And this is before they've kind of fallen in love with one another. And the whole premise is that Bell brings back Christmas to the castle and I really, honestly, I, I, yeah, I love this. And I feel like the Walt Disney Company consider this one canon as well, because if you do ever see Belle in, on a Christmas parade float, she can sometimes be seen in her dress from this movie, which is the red velvet dress with the kind of long sleeves. It's got like a yellow lining underneath and it's got roses all over it. It's beautiful. And the fact that they've even incorporated that dress in a Disney park, I have never seen a character or an outfit from a straight to VHS in a Disney park in my life, with the exception of that dress. So I think Disney recognized that this is superior to the others. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think as straight to VHS releases go, this one is actually pretty decent. It does. It was making me think just then when you were talking about the narrative and the characters that are stuck up in the attic because they're Christmas decorations, they, why don't they just move about? Like, they've got the run of the castle. Do you know what I mean? Like, they can take themselves down from the attic. Why do they choose to stay up there? I guess it's the same reason that, like, all of Chip's brothers and sisters just sit in the cupboard. Like, I think that part of the spell is that they are turning into these objects and behaving in the same way that these objects do. And actually there's a, a I will talk about this now because I'll probably forget later if I just keep going, oh, I'll talk about that later. But there's a theatrical device that they use in the Broadway and West End production, which is that the characters that or the actors playing Lumiere, Cogsworth and Mrs. Potts, their costumes change throughout the production to show time passing. So Cogsworth suddenly gets a winder on his back, which he didn't have. And he starts freaking out about it. And Lumiere's arm is able to move a lot around the first half, but in the second half, it is stuck in a, in a upward sort of right angle position, like a candlestick. So they have these kind of um, movements and changes to their costumes that show that as time is going on, they're becoming more and more like the inanimate objects. So I guess, yeah, we'll use that as the answer. Yeah, I'm definitely splitting hairs here, but yeah, just just a thought. Um, and then one of the more negative adaptations or sequels that we've had is Belle's Magical World. Now, we did go into quite a lot of detail about this when we talked about our very worst live action, not live action, straight to VHS um, Disney releases. Belle's Magical World is just absolute dire. If you All you need to do is watch five minutes 
and look at the animation. And it is one of the worst things I've ever seen that Disney have done. It is so, so cheap. I think there's that bit we found a screenshot of where Belle's eyes are like in two completely different directions. Like it's just absolutely terrible and something that the world did not need to see at all. Yeah, 100%. I'm just looking on IMDb and interestingly, it's only got 5.2, which does not surprise me at all because, you know, I always say that if something's got less than kind of six or seven on IMDb, then I'm not bothering with it. So yeah, 5.2. Beauty and the Beast Enchanted Christmas has only got six, which I'm very upset about. I feel like that is a great movie, but I mean, you know, the animation and everything's not right and the voice acting because it isn't a a Disney classic. It's never going to be up there with the classics. And then the third and final straight to VHS release that we've had, and this one is actually new to me. I've never heard of this one before. And this is Belle's Tale of Friendship. And I'm just looking this up on IMDb as well because I'd be interested to see where this fits into the mix okay this one has 5.7 stars so at least it's a relief to hear that it's not as bad as Belle's Enchanted World or whatever it's called Magical World and to be honest with you how could it be any worse than that it still has Robbie Benson so that's the original voice of Beast in this version however it doesn't have Jodie Benson oh no Robbie Benson yeah Robbie Benson is the Beast in the original isn't he Robbie yeah yeah how weird is that? I've never realised that they're both Benson before. What, Jodie Benson? Oh, it's not Jodie Benson, is it? It's Paige O'Hara. Sorry, that's why um, it does have Paige O'Hara. Sorry, that's my mistake. Yeah, so it's got Paige O'Hara and it's got Robbie Benson as the voice characters for this. So that's something. Maybe that's why it gets those extra points there. But yeah, I'd never heard of this one either. And I looked it up and it seems like it's Belle narrating various tales. So things like the three three little pigs whatever it's called that story (laughs) to a cast of characters and other traditional tales um so yeah I'm quite interested to see if it's on Disney plus because I do like to check these things out just to see like what the animation standard is like so I might have a look at that later absolutely and when we talk about these 90s renaissance movies something that comes up a lot is these sort of disney channel or toon disney animated series and beauty and the beast luckily was saved that fact it never never got one of those although i actually used to really enjoy those when i was a child but what it did get was a series on playhouse disney i don't think it's called that anymore i think it's called disney junior now but it was playhouse disney at the time and it must have been sort of early noughties because i vividly remember my little sister watching this when she was a toddler and that was sing me a story with bell and we absolutely loved sing me a story with bell so for context this was set before bell has ever met beast before she's ever gone to the castle she's stuck in her provincial town and it would see Belle leave her house. I remember the song again. I'm not going to try and sing it, but it was sing me a story, sing me a rhyme. Da, 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 da. Once upon a time, I can really remember it. And she's walking the streets. It was clever. It was a live action Belle. She looked very, very similar to the Bells that we see at Disney parks and resorts. And she had a really good singing voice. So she was very well cast. But the backdrop during the title sequence was the backdrop that we see during the bell song in the 1991 classic. So she left her house, kind of walked through the town and ended up 
in the library. And Belle would come in and she'd sit down in the library for the afternoon and say bonjour to all the children watching at home and sit down. And very similarly to that film you just described, Tash, she would tell them a story. So she'd select a book off the shelf and she'd tell them a story. The reason that there's kind of a bit of a problem with this, I mean, it's aimed at toddlers, it's not a huge problem, but there was a cat there in the library that could talk and there were a few other sort of enchanted objects as well like a grandfather clock and a few other things I think maybe a quill um, and a notebook or, or something like that that could speak and obviously when Belle goes to Beast Castle she's like really shocked that Lumiere and Cogsworth are talking and if she'd spent her afternoons in a library with enchanted objects I think she would be more au fait with that but I get that it's you know it's a Disney Channel spin-off sometimes Gaston would appear as well so he'd make entrances he'd kind of pop into the library and ask how Belle's day had been and sort of flirt with her and Belle would brush off his advancement so I quite liked that and I think from time to time you would even see Maurice as well I thought it was great and, you know, perfect for young children. Yeah, I, I do remember this being a thing, but I never, ever watched it. Obviously, it was, I was a bit too old for it when, it when it came out. I didn't have a younger sibling like Mercedes did, but I do remember you talking about it quite a lot. And I remember that your sister did really enjoy it. Yeah, I'm just having a look now. And interestingly, it's Lindsay McLeod that played Belle. And I saw her name on one of the straight to VHS films. So that's quite interesting. She obviously steps in to play Belle quite a lot. I'm going to have a look now because I'm intrigued. This is very interesting to me. So yes, she is Belle in Belle's Tale of Friendship as well. That's interesting because I definitely saw Paige O'Hara's voice on there. Oh, she's okay. So she is Belle's voice on the video game for Belle's Tale of Friendship. And she was in Sing Me a Story with Belle. So she's played Belle a couple of times. I see. I see. So talking about video games, that is another thing that, again, I have no familiarity with. I was not a video gamer as a child. I'm still not into video games. I would actually go as far as to say I hate them. Um, but Mercedes, I know you were super into gaming and there were quite a few different Beauty and the Beast games that you could do. We have, I just want to quickly touch upon, we have spoken, I'm sure, on the podcast before about that game that came with the DVD when the DVD was first released and you had to basically guide, I think it was Chip, through the castle and through the West Wing. And I loved that game so, so much. And then there was another game where you had to use items in the kitchen to make the song of Be Our Guest. And that was also really enjoyable. But for me, in terms of games, that's about as far as it goes. So Mercedes, why don't you tell me, educate me about some of these other Beauty and the Beast games that I know you played? Sure. So whenever a Disney movie is released, even still to this day, there's always a console game that comes with it. I vividly remember the Aladdin game and I remember the Hercules game as well. The Beauty and the Beast game I never played. So I played a lot of these because my uncle was really into gaming and he had all the various different consoles. But Beauty and the Beast came out in 1991. So presumably as a baby, that's the reason that I don't recall this one. But when it did come out, it was released on the NES, which was the Nintendo offering at the time, I believe, NES. Yeah, it was. Sorry, my brain. Um, which was preceded by the SNES. So the SNES came out after the NES. I don't think I ever played the NES because I was an infant. But that's not the only place in which Beauty and the Beast have appeared in gaming. So they do appear quite heavily in lots of the various Kingdom Hearts games. 
they are in the first original Kingdom Hearts. I personally never got to that stage because I found Kingdom Hearts so difficult, like ridiculously difficult. I actually revisited it as an adult and I was using YouTube as well for cheats to help me along my way. Not so much cheats, but walkthroughs. And I still didn't complete this game. When I say it's hard, it's part of Final Fantasy, isn't it? It's not meant to be easy, but because of the Disney flair, I think you presume it's easy. It is not easy. It's far from it. So I never actually got to the Beauty and the Beast level in Kingdom Hearts. But one game that I do remember vividly was the Beauty and the Beast Magical Ballroom PC game. And Tash, I'm astounded that I didn't make you play this when we were teenagers because I was obsessed with it. So the whole idea was that you were putting on a party or an event for Belle and the Beast. They were holding a celebration in the ballroom. And there were lots of different stages that you had to undertake in order to get everything ready. And my favorite level was the Mrs. Potts level where you had to prepare the sandwiches, the desserts, the tea, and get everything ready for the evening. And you would pick what uh, what dress Belle wore, what dance routine Belle and Beast would do. These were my favorite kind of video games growing up. I loved the PC games the Mulan one was a particular favorite if anyone remembers the Mulan PC game then yeah send me a DM because that was my absolute favorite growing up in the 90s yeah um that actually sounds quite more up my street that sort of game I would probably be interested in playing that now um but yeah just games games are not for me at all um yeah so that's that's that when it comes to gaming for me um the other thing that we haven't mentioned about is how beauty and the beast is represented and appears in parks and obviously i believe it was last year that the enchanted tale of beauty and the beast attraction opened at tokyo it is the only disney park in the world to have a beauty and the beast ride this is a dark ride and it does this is one video normally i do not watch youtube or pov videos of attractions because I don't want it to ruin anything for me. But I don't know when I'm next going to go back to Tokyo. I don't know if this ride is going to come to any of the other Disney parks. So I have watched this one and it does look very, very well done. I It astounds me that we've had to wait this long for Beauty and the Beast Dark Ride and it's in Tokyo. And I'm not saying anything against Tokyo. Tokyo is a brilliant park. It's fully deserving of that ride. But why do we not have it in Paris? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we spoke about this last week in our French culture episode. Why is Cinderella Castle not in Disneyland Paris or why is it not Beast's Enchanted Castle? There's not an awful lot of French representation in Disneyland Paris, but that is changing with the introduction of the sort of Parisian square that we see in Walt Disney Studios that's home to the Ratatouille attraction and the Beauty and the Beast, Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast, the attraction, that would fit really well in that area too. And I hope that we do get to see it or maybe in the French Pavilion at Epcot someday next to the Ratatouille attraction. Who knows? But I would love to see that in more parks and resorts. And it's it's just, I think, a testament to how loved this film is that in 2020, you know, how many years is that? Like 29 years after the original movie came out, they're still making a whole attraction dedicated to that film. It is testament to the fact that it still does stand the test of time. I said test a lot there. You know what I mean? And also, this has reminded me, actually, something I'd forgotten about. 
four or five years or so ago in London, I've forgotten which hotel it was, but it was one of the really fancy hotels. They did a Beauty and the Beast themed afternoon tea. I took my mum and my sister as a treat and we really, really enjoyed it. It was like impossible to get a booking there. And again, you know, who's going to be paying a fortune to to dine on, on an afternoon tea that costs hundreds of pounds that's themed to Zootopia or Wreck-It Ralph? Nobody's going to do that. So the fact that Beauty and the Beast, you know, it got the crowds and it was sold out every single day this afternoon tea. There's definitely still a demand there. I think even if it had been like Sleeping Beauty themed, it wouldn't have had as much interest. Beauty and the Beast absolutely is still relevant. And so I'm not surprised that that ride has opened in Tokyo. And we also had the expansion at Walt Disney World in 2012. So this was the new Fantasyland expansion. And with that, we got Be Our Guest to the restaurant and also Gaston's Tavern. Yes, we did. Um, I really like that expansion. Obviously, I've only been to Walt Disney World since it has been there, but I have to say I really, really enjoyed that area. Be Our Guest is an interesting one as a dining choice because it is, it's like a fancy quick serve, like a fancy quick dine. That is what it is. You've got lots of families eating there. Um, They do bring your food to the table. So it's kind of like a half and half, but the best bit about it is just being able to wander around the restaurant and you've got the different sections. So we ate in the ballroom under the amazing ceiling, but then you can wander into the library. You can wander into the West Wing as well. I would not advise eating in there because it's very, very dark. But yeah, for, for a dining experience and going in there, I would say that it's definitely worth it, but it is expensive for what it is and the food that you get. Yeah, I would just caveat that with the fact that Tash went at lunch. It is very different at dinner time. It's a, it's a proper fine dining experience with the starter main dessert. But that in itself is a bit of a problem. You have to have a starter main and dessert if you go at dinner. And I assume that's because it's so in demand. It's a bit similar to the Space 220 restaurant that just opened at Epcot. They call it a, it's a French word and I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like prefix and it's like p-r-i-x-e-f-i-x-e and it basically means that it's a set menu you get this at really fancy places and you have to pick it's the same cost but you have to pick a starter a main and a dessert so if you're thinking oh I want to go at dinner time because I want to experience it as a fine dining restaurant but I don't want to pay loads I'm just going to order a dessert yeah you're not going to get away with that they're going to make you order three courses so if you do want a more affordable option definitely go at breakfast definitely go at lunch but as Tash said it's got more of that sort of quick dine feel is it am I wrong Tash is it kind of sandwiches and cupcakes and things like that at lunchtime no, it is it is hot food. Like we had like a proper meal. I can't remember for the life of me what we had. I think I had a pasta dish. I think Benji had a chicken dish. And then I had the grey stuff for dessert and he had something I can't remember. So it is like you get more than just like, yeah, like kind of cafe style food. Um, so yeah, the food wasn't bad, but it's just, yeah, as you say, it's a completely different experience going in the day than it is in the evening. Yeah, for sure. And I think that... Yeah, as you say, it's because they probably like have less people in there in the evening as well. Like they're probably cramming people in at lunchtime and stuff like that because they know how popular it is. Um, and presumably there'll be more children, I imagine, during the day as well. 
So that's the representation at Walt Disney World. Disneyland also has a little bit of Beauty and the Beast representation. So they actually turned the Pinocchio Village House in Disneyland's Fantasyland into Red Rose Tavern. And we've mentioned this a lot and that anecdote about that stupid woman that told me it had been there since the park opened, which is impossible because it opened in 1955. But anyway, I won't let that upset me today because it was many years ago. Clearly, I'm not over it. Yeah, you you have spoken about you're upset about that quite a lot in the past. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a fool of a of a woman to to tell you that. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up everything Beauty and the Beast in terms of you know movies, franchises, games, parks, how it's been represented. I do think that the 2017 live action did kind of give Beauty and the Beast a new lease of life, and I think it sparked an interest in a lot of people well like you know kids that weren't around in the 90s that maybe hadn't seen it but also a lot of adults I've got a couple of friends from Shanghai because I was over there when it came out who were not into Disney really at all and then went to see Beauty and the Beast the live action version and now they're really into Disney as a whole so I think that it really did do a big great thing for the Disney world and for Beauty and the Beast but The last thing that we haven't spoken about is obviously the show adaptation. So the Broadway and the West End show, which is currently traveling around the UK, sadly to very limited random locations, which does not make sense to me, but there we go. Um, But Mercedes did travel to Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago to see this with her sister Morgan. So she is now going to give her us her full live review. Every day like the one before Little town full of little people Waking up to say So a little bit of background, the Walt Disney adaptation for the stage version of Beauty and the Beast, it opened in 1994, I believe, on Broadway and then came to London's West End. And it's not been back to the UK since, which is astounding, but it has been on lots of tours around Europe and it has been in the States since then as well. So it's just us in the UK that have not had the delight of watching this production since. And so When I heard that it was touring, in fact, it happened, I think, live when we were recording. I started looking frantically at what cities it was coming to. And I booked tickets for myself and my sister to go to Edinburgh for her 21st birthday. And I'm very, very pleased that I did. Never been to Edinburgh before. Everyone always told me how amazing it was. I actually didn't rate the city that much, which I don't think helped because of the fact that it was raining consistently when I was there. That's always going to ruin your experience. But the trip was still worth it. For the show. The show was absolutely fantastic and I'm really excited to tell you a little bit about it today and explain exactly why. So first of all, this was definitely a watered down version from what I remember in the 90s at the Dominion Theatre in London's West End and that was basically down to the sets. They used a lot of screen projection which I've not really seen in the theatre before and I think that this is down to the fact simply that it's a tour they can't build these big constructive sets if they know they've got them, you know, for a week, two weeks, and then they've got to move them. One of the things that I really, really remember from when I was a little girl was the wolf sequence because it was dancers dressed as wolves. 
But this time round, one of the Wolves songs, it's not really a song, it's, a, it's an instrumental piece of music, but one of them was actually cut completely from the production. There are a few songs that were cut, actually. And the Wolves were not dancers. It was just projections of Wolves running around. It didn't look great, to be completely honest with you. And again, I think this is because of touring. I think that because they've got a limited cast, they can't have endless amounts of dancers if they've all got to, you know, up sticks from their home and travel around the UK. I think that that's the reason. I think that, you know, the villages and the inanimate objects around the castle they were all the same dancers and if they had them as the wolves as well it's just another unnecessary quick change so I think that's the reason so they're the things that were different from what I remember it was as I say mostly staging and I do believe it was because of a tour in terms of the performances my god I was so happy so so happy so first of all Belle the actress that plays Belle was absolutely wonderful and I do want to address this first of all because I do think that this is one of the things that is probably going to be most apparent when people go online and start looking at the Beauty and the Beast tour the actress who plays Belle I'm not 100% sure of her parentage but I'm pretty sure that she is mixed race and then the actor that plays Beast is black And we actually didn't have the actor that was meant to play Beast. We had an understudy who was Caucasian. So I can't talk about how amazing, unfortunately, that that actor is because we didn't see him. But we'll talk a little bit about Belle. And there's something that I want to just say, and that's the fact that this actress that plays Belle, she is mixed race, I believe, and her natural hair is Afro hair. And the doll that they sell on the tour for children is a dark skin bell with Afro hair. And this actress, because she is mixed parentage, she's quite light skin. She looks not dissimilar from me, I would say, with the exception of her hair. And it would have been very easy for the Walt Disney Company to have given her a a wig that looked like Western Caucasian hair And you would have never even known her parentage. You would never have even suspected that she wasn't Caucasian. And I'm so glad that they didn't do that. I am so glad they gave her wigs that looked like her natural hair. It might have been her natural hair, actually, to be fair. But I I know that in the West End and, and in musicals, you normally have a wig. So I'm really pleased. I just want to give the Walt Disney Company a massive kudos for that. Because the other actresses that were stand ins for Belle were all Caucasian. So I imagine they had different wigs as well. So, yeah, I I, I remember when Beauty and the Beast was on in the West End, the understudy for Belle was black and she just had the same brunette Caucasian wig when she was standing in. So the fact that they've actually gone, no, we're going to let Belle have her natural hair. I really was impressed with that. Yeah, I'm just looking at the the cast now. Um, And that I think that is a very, very good decision. I'm very happy to hear that that is the decision that they stuck with. I think, yeah, well done to the Disney company for doing that. So I'm intrigued to hear about some of the other casting choices. So let's talk about some of the main characters. Um, You mentioned in the beginning that there was only one name that you were familiar with. So who was that and in what role did they play? So this was Sam Bailey and you might recognize that name. She was on the X Factor in the UK several years ago, back when I actually watched X Factor. So I knew exactly who she was. 
And I was really on the fence. And I don't know why, because we've seen that the X Factor produces great talent. I mean, One Direction from the X Factor, Little Mix from the X Factor and at that era as well. So there was no reason that that X Factor you know, fandom or, or or her roots being from the X Factor, I should say, should have any implication for how good she is at performing. I don't know why I'd made that sort of perceived idea before I saw it. But honestly, she was like one of the most talented people. They, they were all, ta- there wasn't a bad performer, which, you know, after our Hamilton review a couple of weeks ago was so exciting and, and welcome to me that there wasn't one person I would have changed. Every single person was Stella. And she was, I mean, you as Mrs. Potts, you've got arguably the toughest job because you've got to sing Beauty and the Beast, which is the titular song. It's the most famous song, maybe after Be Our Guest, but it's one of the, the moments that everyone's kind of gripped at the edge of their seat waiting for and she did amazing I would have cast her in the live action over Emma Thompson really honestly I I can't fault her performance and I was really pleased I actually shared a picture of her on my Instagram the other day saying how amazing I thought she was and she re-grammed it so I was really pleased with that nice love that yeah she is someone who's completely disappeared under the radar hasn't she as, as far as I'm aware I don't know if she's been in any other show other shows um, but I do remember her from X Factor all those years ago and she was that very like motherly type character like very warm so I can imagine her being a good spot for Mrs Potts um but yeah some of the other characters just give me like a few of the standouts Well, the biggest standout by far was Gaston. I think that Gaston, I can't remember when we did our sort of top and worst villain episodes. I can't remember where I ranked Gaston, but I've never been like overly enamored with Gaston, I don't think. He's my favorite villain now. He is just hilarious. And I think, you know, we've said in the past, the reason that Gaston is so intimidating and frightening is because we all know a Gaston. It's a very realistic villain. We all know that kind of arrogant character. But Gaston was absolutely fantastic. And the Gaston song was the highlight of the entire production. It was more incredible than even be our guest if you can believe that my sister said she was struggling between Gaston and be our guest which moment she enjoyed more but for me it was the Gaston song it was so ridiculous they sang you know the main part of the song and then in the live action they've extended the Gaston song as well because it is extended in the Broadway it's its own you know it goes on and on and on and on it's never ending but it was just you know just when you thought it got really ridiculous they'd come out in kind of tarantella style skirts with tambourines you thought god they can't get more ridiculous then they start coming out in varsity jackets and pom-poms throwing g-a-s-t-o-n up in the air and you think okay it can't it can't get any more ridiculous and then they do a performance very akin to stomp and you think how can they keep leveling up and be our guest was similar you know when they came out in their tap shoes and bell and lumiere did a full-on complex tap routine I love tap it's my dance of choice I I love tap growing up you know it it was like that it was like the ridiculous was just absolutely stretched and pushed as much as it could be it was like you know how can we push this further I know let's get the villagers to come out like a an American university collegiate and you know get them dressed in cheerleading outfits and pom-poms like singing Gaston's praises it was just so absurd that you just had such a good time and the dancers and the the extras and the um the ensemble were 
so talented in be our guest my jaw was open the whole time you had girls jumping up in the air and landing in splits you had Belle kicking her leg just as high as the can-can dancer she was a fantastic dancer and the waltz in be our guest as well I've gone off talking about dance and stuff you asked me about characters um but yeah Gaston was a standout and yeah all of the ensemble as well I would say were really talented one of the strongest ensembles that I've ever seen And I'd probably pick out Lumiere as well. I thought Lumiere was very, very funny. Okay, good. And how, because I'm sure a lot of people, if they haven't seen it, so for me, I've not seen any clips or images of this show or anything. So when I think the only Beauty and the Beast show that I've I've seen that I can remember is that terrible version in Walt Disney World, um, where the costumes are rather cheap. So I'm intrigued. How does it work in terms of costume? Is it, like akin to a Lion King type thing whereby you have the characters and it's almost like puppetry or is it like you've got a big Mrs Potts costume and you've got a head poking out the top like how does it work yeah the costumes are one of the things that I love the most about this I think it's so clever because you can if you have a giant Mrs Potts with her head poking out like you see at Walt Disney World obviously the head's not poking out it can come across almost comedic but they've done this so cleverly and actually this is something that was quite different from when I originally saw it on Broadway so in the original Broadway the costumes are very I guess they're very akin to something like Phantom of the Opera in terms of the era. It's very Renaissance styling. So we see Belle coming down for the ballway and she's got this huge curly wig. Have you ever seen Interview of a Vampire? Yes, you made me watch that as a teenager. Okay, so if if you've seen that film and you can visualise Kirsten Dunst's hair in that movie, that's what I'm talking about, these crazy 1800s curls. So that's what Belle's hair was like, and Beast's was the same. It was this long, almost piratey sort of Captain Hook in in Hook. Dustin Hoffman played him, if anyone's seen that. These crazy sort of... um, yeah, hundreds of years ago, curls. And that was not the vibe at this version. It's been updated for a contemporary audience. So that was different in terms of Belle and Beast. But actually the household objects costumes were very, very similar still. So Lumiere is wearing a black jumpsuit that's bedazzled. And the actor has his hands at right angles up the whole time. And each hand has got a candle on the end of it that actually do come aflame, plus a candle on their head as well. And then Mrs. Potts has like a little, almost like a beret kind of style hat. And then she just has this big round dress. And again, she always has one hand on her hip and one hand lifted. So it's a lot to do with the physicality as well as the costumes. If they, like Lumiere is just wearing a black jumpsuit. If he was just walking around normally, he wouldn't look like a candlestick. It's the fact that his arms are constantly up, you know, even when he's gesturing towards things, they're constantly held in that upright position. So it's it's achieved through physicality and also costume. We have to talk about Chip. So I remember... When I was a little girl, I did not know how they had done chip. I couldn't, they will chip out on a table and you can see through the table. It's like, how how do you do this? I don't understand. I think I know now 
I think I'd worked it out. I tried to explain it to my sister and she still wasn't getting it, but I took comfort in the fact that I had figured it out. But then just when I thought I had figured it out, they wheeled him on a different tray at a completely different angle where you could see through. And I was completely dumbfounded. I was like, no, now I, now I don't know. (laughs) I remember you and your mum always used to talk about that and how amazing it was and how you couldn't figure it out. And I think it's one of the things that makes me want to see that show the most. I want to see what you're talking about and visualize that for my own eyes. Yeah, I I think I have figured it out now. I'll tell you off air so that I don't ruin it for everybody. But as I say, just when I had figured it out, they changed it. And I was like, okay, now I can't figure it out again. So yeah, that, that was amazing. And that was like one of those moments of pure Disney magic where you're like just completely captivated with the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, I I'm singing this show's praises a lot. I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. The sets were quite weak, but I do think that's because of the tour, but in terms of the performances and the choreography and the singing and the casting, everything was on point and I don't say that lightly you know if you've listened to any reviews that we've done before Tash and I can be quite scathing when we want to be I was honestly so so impressed and I forgot how much I love that soundtrack I think two of my favorite songs from the Beauty and the Beast musical are actually not in the animation and that's Home which is Belle's big number again very sort of Phantom of the Opera vibes I get from that song you can tell that Alan Menken wrote it with Tim Rice for sure and then the second song is Beast's song which is If I Can't Love Her and I don't understand why they changed this to Evermore in the live action because they're both at the same point in the film. They both serve the same purpose. I'd be really curious, Tash, if you could have a listen to this and then listen to Evermore and tell me which one you like better. I think that the version that we have in the, the Broadway version, If I Can't Love Her, it does take a while to get going, I would say. But, and also, do you know what else I love about it? You'll like this. They, Alan Menken and Tim Rice, geniuses that they are, you know, the opening of Beauty and the Beast that's the that music, it's set to that. And I feel like that makes sense. I love that music. Like, I would say the score of Beauty and the Beast is probably my favorite score because I love that. And I love the score at the end when he turns from Beast into the Prince. So I'm really intrigued to see what this sounds like. I love Evermore. So yeah, you've, oh, you've intrigued me now. Yeah, I love Evermore as well. And I think it's one of my favorite things about the live action is that it gave us that song. But yeah, watching it again, and I did, I I know this song, you know, I've I've watched this musical, I think I went three or four times when I was a little girl. And I recently watched that Disney in concert thing that's on Disney Plus and John Barrowman sang it. And John Barrowman obviously played Beast in the West End as well. And yeah, I, I was like, I don't understand why they rewrote this song. There's obviously something about it that they didn't think would translate. As I say, it does take a while to get going. So maybe that's the reason, but I really like it. So I'll I'll send you a link to it after this, Tash, and you can give it a listen. But yeah, overall, really happy. And I do have some gossip as well. So I've been looking on some forums online in the nerdy theatre forums of London's West End and it's not confirmed for sure 
but there are a lot of fans who are speculating that once Mary Poppins finishes its run at the, I believe, the Prince Edward Theatre, Tash, am I correct? Yes, you are correct. Then it's going to be replaced with Beauty and the Beast. So fingers crossed this is true. And if the tour wasn't anywhere that you are, hopefully it will be at London's West End next year and you'll be able to see it. So I really, really hope that the rumours are true. And speaking of Mary Poppins, Tash, you just got back from a Mary Poppins trip. So we will probably talk about that next week, I would imagine. Yes, it's all musicals, musicals, musicals at the moment because we'll talk about that next week. And then, of course, in less than a month's time now, we have Frozen coming up. So it's a very exciting time of the year for Mercedes and I in terms of the world of Disney musicals. But that concludes today's episode. Next week, we will be back. We'll be bringing you another very exciting episode. So you can find us next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, please do. You can find us on Instagram at ChatDisney. And our Twitter is at ChatDisneyUK. So, yes, we hope that we will see you next week. And if you've seen Beauty and the Beast, please let me know what you thought of it as well. I hope that all of you were just as taken aback with it as I was. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.